Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Social Impact Pioneers podcast series. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. These interviews with social impact pioneers provide you with insights, different perspectives, advice and maybe a little inspiration, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are tackling some of the world's biggest social challenges so that you can learn from those who have been there before, helping you in your decision-making and action-taking. My guest today doesn't just look at problems, he solves for them. Meet Ben Jeffries, CEO of Attic, the social enterprise startup that aims to solve the problem of the lack of access to clean and modern cooking products. Ben and his team at Attec produce, sell, and distribute patented biodigester systems for small-scale farmers globally. Finding a technical solution to a problem is one thing. Developing a price point, sales model, and distribution network that actually supports your customers is a very different one. And that is what we're going to talk about today. So forget any preconceptions about making social impact being a sort of cottage industry of do-gooders, get ready for a whistle-stop into business models, equity raises, and lasting positive results for billions of people living around the world who are daily cooking on polluting and dangerous and carbon-intensive open fires and kerosene stoves. Ben, welcome. Hi, Katie. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Our pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Ben, I wanted to start off our conversation today. Um, There's a statistic uh, out there in the ether saying that over 4 billion people around the world are still cooking with polluting cooking stoves. And and for those listening, I'll put that reference into the words that sit alongside the podcast. So Ben, I really just wanted to start this conversation. How did you come to be leading a clean cooking company? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting story. I um originally started off in the in sort of working in the business sector uh, in Australia, and I really enjoyed doing that. But um, very much saw that putting my time and effort towards making an impact rather than making money for someone in particular was definitely something I, I wanted to do more of. So I ended up after working in the corporate sector for a few years, where I kind of earned my chops, as they say. Uh, I then moved over into actually working at Oxfam for a period of time. And really enjoyed that. And then it was through Oxfam that I started getting into this, introduced to this idea of a social enterprise that was really a good resonance for me of of harmonizing impact and and business together. And I saw that with such an approach, the the scalability of the impact that you can achieve is, is really significant. I really liked the work Oxfam was doing, but saw that it was always dependent on how much money they were able to raise to solve the problems that they wanted to solve. Uh, while social enterprise, if you're doing it well, that is not a not uh, a concern because the people are paying for the product or service. So yeah, so I did that. Then worked for actually another UK organisation called the School for Social Entrepreneurs in Australia, and did some work around incubating people in that. Really enjoyed it, but really wanted to get my hands right into actually solving a, a problem on the front line. And it was at that time an opportunity came along for me to move to Cambodia with Engineers Without Borders and, and Live and Learn to NGOs who, had, who were keen to start a new social enterprise, which we ended up calling ATEC, which is a company that's all, all focused around decarbonizing cooking uh, for people around the world. And um, yeah, moved the whole family to Cambodia and it 
I was back in 2016 and it's kicked on from there. Wow, that's a mega shift. <laughs> a huge journey as well, Ben. <laughs> I feel like we might have to come back to some of that. But we, I wanted to just focus in on that clean cooking for a minute. I mean, why? I, I obviously shared a huge stat up front, but why is it such mm. a problem? And, and why, why is clean cooking and presumably safe cooking, therefore, so important? Mm. Yeah, so I've, I've got a couple other good stats I can throw at you that, that really quantify the problem. So the thing about what really made me personally focus in on clean cooking is I can't come across, and I, I really challenge anyone and would love to hear from anyone who thinks there's something else that can beat this, is when it comes to what will have the biggest social and environmental impact in the world and is a technically solvable problem, as in like it just literally putting a, a product into place, there is no bigger opportunity or, or uh, for impact than, than clean cooking. So to give some context, as you said, 4 billion people around the world lack access to, to modern cooking, meaning they're still cooking with wood or, or biomass, as it's called. And if we are able to solve this problem, it'll inject predominantly through women and economic opportunity and health a further um, $2.7 trillion per year into the global economy, which is about equivalent to the national GDP of Italy, the eighth largest country in the world. And that'll all be at the base of the pyramid. And then the other one that really surprises people is that solving clean cooking will offset more greenhouse gas emissions than the global airline industry. So it's around a couple of percent of total global greenhouse gas emissions. And you think about how focused we are on, on solving problems in, in transportation, we've got this huge opportunity here around cooking to make a significant environmental impact. And yeah, we really need to get the word out about that in particular. Blimey, I don't really know how to come back from that. Like, those statistics are huge. I, I think, you, Ben, we get so sort of caught up on big industry, heavy industry, and, and obviously, you know, addressing carbon issues has got to be across the board and everybody has to do something, but that's, that's just huge numbers. And, and I don't even want to think about when you're talking about the kind of economy to collecting with the, the safety aspects of cooking on wood for people, the time spent moving to chop down trees, et cetera, and find that wood. It's just, yeah, makes such a mm. such a compelling piece. And you, your solution, you've gone in, into biodigesters now. For those listening mm. who might know, not know what a biodigester is, could you share with us what, why is a biodigester a solution to this? Yeah, so, so we have a, a few different products. The one that uh, we actually originally started off, off with is what is a biogas digester. Uh, I think they're starting to become a bit more well-known in the world. They've actually been around for, for quite a while. But basically what you do is it's an enclosed or sealed tank uh, in which you put waste, typically animal manure or kitchen waste and um, uh, crop waste into it. You then have these great bacteria, which is basically like a, the same bacteria that's in a cow's stomach. Uh, that break that waste down into gas, uh, pretty much like natural gas that you can use for cooking. It's methane. So you can use that like uh, natural gas in your house. And then you get uh, organic fertilizer out of the system as well. So we designed a, a system that could be sort of built commercially and scaled. The traditional systems are made with bricks and concrete, but have a lot of technical issues over time. So we built a, a more robust system that could be commercially manufactured and also work in these seasonally flooded countries where we work, which is uh, at the moment Cambodia and Bangladesh, where you need to be able to access those tanks even when there's like, you know, a, a foot of flooding uh, on the ground. So 
so yeah, so that that's the the biodigest product. It's a, for the right household, those small scale farmer households. It's an absolutely fantastic product, and can offset up to about seven tons of greenhouse gas emissions per year at the same time. That's huge. And and I then want you know, as you were talking, you talk eloquently about the technology that sits behind it. Is it is it the people that's really interesting to you, or the technology, or or a bit of both? Like what what sort of most exciting for you? Yeah, I mean, on a on a personal level, I think my my general thing in life, which both inspires and in one level probably irritates me as well, is just trying to increase people's agency to make the most of their lives uh, and live the best lives that they can for them and their families. So when you look, and I mean, you go spend time in these communities and you look at how people are consuming a lot of their energy, capacity, time, it's up to 20 hours per week to cook with wood versus a a modern cooking solution. Predominantly women who then have all these knock-on health effects as well, such as cataracts, lung cancer, et cetera. It's just basically like there's this huge potential sitting there that we could tap into of increasing their ability to make better lives for themselves if we can solve this problem. So that's kind of probably my general theme on, on what interests me. That's kind of what gets me out of bed. And then it's then looking at, okay, well, what's the the most or the best technical solution that can be done at scale in order to to solve that particular problem? And I wanted to pick up that piece on scale, actually, Ben. I mean, presumably listening to you, amazing solution, massively pressing problem. How do you go about trying to get the solutions into, say, the biodigesters, into the hands of those who need it? And presumably they're really distributed around the world. So it's not just about price point, it's also about distribution. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really interesting question and one we've that's changed a lot in the last few years. So in my time, I mean, we've been working in Bangladesh about a bit over two years now, Cambodia are coming up on seven years. And the, these economies have fundamentally changed. When I first went to Cambodia, you know, a smartphone was a rarity as was a grid connection, as was decent roads to be able to get things around the country. And these countries have really come forward in leaps and bounds. Bangladesh now has uh, 99% of households now have access to energy. Uh, Cambodia is not too far behind that. There's been amazing investment in in a whole range of infrastructure there. So the business model that we kind of originally started with was your very traditional approach, which is like you'd hire people to go door to door talking to people in the countryside. And then then what we saw about three or four, uh, maybe about four years ago, is that doing that approach really wasn't a particularly productive way of going about talking and raising awareness of the products. But what we did start to see is that everyone was actually suddenly getting a smartphone in these economies. And so we actually started transferring to, to doing a lot more on digital marketing and really bringing sort of a modern digital e-commerce approach, which you know we're very familiar with in the UK, Australia, where I'm from, and bringing that kind of approach around digital marketing, social media, advertising, uh, et cetera, uh, predominantly Facebook, and using that for customer acquisition, and then working with third-party logistics providers who are e-commerce specialists to then ship the product around the country. So now, which is, I mean, COVID accelerated this, 90 90 to 95% of our customers come through a a digital lead form that they've filled out after seeing some of our uh, information on Facebook. We then qualify them through a call center and then ship the product directly to them 
much like you do with products, say, in the UK, for example. So it's, it's a fundamentally different market these days, which is really exciting because before people in these markets could really only go to their local shop and that was their entire sort of sort of range of products that they could access to improve their lives and this digital approach yes it has problems and challenges but it's really opening up a lot of opportunity for for people in uh, emerging markets as well so could you share how you've ensured local communities that you're serving are at the front and center of your business model yeah, it's a great question, Katie. I think, um, I mean, we've done a few different things over the time to ensure that we're looking at how local communities are really the, the front and centre of what we do. I mean, we started off very much with a human-centred design approach around actually going out and spending time, a, a lot of time, of understanding the problem and potential solutions with customers, particularly with biodigesters in the early days. It really informed our original product design and appropriate technology is actually the full name of ATEC. And uh, that's all about designing for the appropriate conditions in which we're working. I think more interest or more uniquely these days, what we're seeing is a couple of really good ways of identifying are you actually designing the product to, to meet the needs and demands of the customer. One being that through digital marketing these days, you can really uh, see in a very sort of scientific way the different sort of features or, or things that are of concern or interest through split testing of customers. Um, so that's been a really insightful way for us to be able to gather that information in a, in a pretty empirical way. And then I think probably the, the best indicator of whether people are happy with the product is the fact that if you're doing your pay-as-you-go business model, then they're going to pay for the uh, product if they're happy. And if they're not happy, they're not going to pay for the product. So that's a really good independent way for us to be able to verify, are we actually serving the needs of the people that we're here to work with uh, as well. And I was wondering, I mean, we are a, a really a practitioner network. That's what Business Fights Poverty is all about. And, and therefore kind of keen to share learnings and, and what works well and things that don't. So from your perspective, I mean, what have you learned on your journey from a, a becoming a social entrepreneur? Yeah, so I, I think on the business model front, I think rather than the personal front, I reckon there's probably two key learnings. As mentioned, we have our, um, our biodigester product range, and then we have an electric cooking product range as well, which is a high efficiency induction cook stove that we see as a, a really high potential, high growth product uh, in these markets too. And how we came about that was we originally did the biodigesters. Uh, we, were, we were originally planning to work with microfinance to try and break it down into small monthly payments, which were as about equal to the savings that they would uh, achieve. But we found that quite challenging to scale that relationship. And at that time, we saw this, this absolutely gangbuster sector in Africa around Pago Solar. So we thought, well, why can't, is there any reason why we can't do pay-as-you-go approaches and technology within the cooking sector? So we developed and designed that up for our biodigesters. And now almost every customer takes uh, this pay-as-you-go option for getting a product, which can range from sort of $50 to $30 a month for customers on the biodigester side. And then after that, we saw that, hey, this, this Pago Clean Cooking has a huge amount of potential. What do we think is going to be the, the sort of most scalable or long-term solution for the majority of households? Because not everyone has the livestock to use a biodigester. And that's what led us to electric cooking. And so we've now brought that product to market and it's, it's going fantastically well. That product people can access for between 5 and $10 a month on Pago as well. And I think that's really the, the point here. And I think this ties into that e-commerce point as well. What we need to be able to do is to be able to get this 
good quality technology in, into these households, but make it affordable for people. And I think that's where the PayGo really helps to achieve that. It is complex from a business model perspective because effectively it's similar to um, doing people on like an instalment plan or subscription, but it really does bring down those costs for people and make it an achievable asset for them to be able to own. And then the other advantage it has is if you're, if you're trying to do this e-commerce approach, you can't take credit card details because no one has them. People tend to have a fair bit, low bit of trust of like, you know, prepaying for goods in these markets because so many people have, have screwed people over in the past. So the fact that we can actually ship the product to the customer, they make that first payment when it's delivered, they've got the product, they enjoy it and then pay it off over a one to two year period really lends itself to be able to access these markets as well. So I think that combination of e-commerce and flexible payment plans for people means that we can really get a, a lot of life positive products out to people in a, in a short period of time. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Thank you very much for sharing your your story. But I think your advice to that piece where you're like, actually, this, there's a model over here, it's working really well for others. I bet it will work well for this too. And, and to that kind of steal with pride and, and you hear I hear that quite often and, and really good reminder that that's actually it, it does pay off and interesting while you're talking about um the sort of low trust in more formal uh, financial products and services there is a new piece of research that came out y- literally yesterday uh, for anybody who's listening as part of the future makers future maker forum and there's a an insight report that goes with that which is listening to over a thousand young people from around the world particularly from low-income communities around their perceptions and understanding of financial services with the view to actually properly better supporting them and putting them at the heart of that decision making so look out for that i will also put that link at the into the notes that sit alongside uh, this podcast ben i'd be amiss if i didn't ask you about trends i mean you are sitting in a place where you get to see so many different a cultures communities different you know technologies etc what are the trends that you're seeing that perhaps others aren't aware of at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I think there's probably a couple of, I'm, I might highlight three trends that I think uh, are kind of linked to sort of the us and, and using business to fight poverty that I think are, are very positive trends for us moving forward. I think around the, the first trend that I think is is really interesting is that when it comes to uh, investment, this whole idea of of green or gr- climate or, or green tech venture funding is becoming a very very serious uh, sort of sector uh, now, with some really significant investments going into this area. I think he was the CEO of BlackRock, if I get it right, but he said the next ten unicorns are going to be green unicorns. And what we see in the market is there's a lot of interest investment around solving these, these climate-related problems. Now, the interesting thing as such when it comes to fighting poverty is a lot of these have a, a direct implication on the, the communities that we, we want to work with. I mean, cooking is an excellent example. You can, between an e-cook, you might, say, get two tonnes per, per system per year, up to seven tonnes with a, with a biodigester. But you pull all these together, as I mentioned earlier, and you're looking at over a gigaton of greenhouse gas emission reductions across the world by solving or decarbonizing this, this cooking problem. So I think there's a really positive opportunity that if we can look at how do we, we we've quantified the value of this, this carbon problem, 
And it presents a huge opportunity for us as far as a, a capital inflow opportunity goes to utilising that to then solve some sort of endemic social problems such as cooking, such as sort of agriculture, uh, et cetera. So I think that's a really exciting time for us. And I think we're in the social sector, be that impact investment, social enterprise, really starting to think through us, our, our what we're doing from an environmental perspective too and how we can tap into that, I think is a, is a really good idea. The second trend that I think a lot of people are not probably right across as well is just how quickly the developing world is catching up to the developed world on some of these essential services. So everyone is just completely gobsmacked when we talk to them, for example, about electric cooking and that first response is like, oh, but people don't have the grid, right? And it's like, well, no, actually, in Asia in particular, 90 we're looking at universal access to electricity across almost all countries in Asia in the very, very near future. And this is going to open up a range of opportunities for people to improve their lives moving forward. So I think, I think this is a really good point. I mean, electric cooking is just one example of, of what that can bring to the mix, but we've seen a variety of different technologies that can come in between a combination of electricity and then access to information through smartphones. I think that's that's a really exciting uh, thing for us moving forward. So I think that that's probably two of the biggest trends that we, we've seen. The other trend that I think it's just a general business trend is I think we're probably going through a bit of a um, market cycle change in that I think the last 20 odd years has really been defined by software companies and changing the world through sort of software uh, company approaches. What I think we're starting now for the next cycle is starting to bring that software into the real world through Internet of Things and other uh, sort of embedded technology into uh, sort of hardware solutions, be that cars like, say, a Tesla, be that my wife's Aura Ring, which uses to track her sleep on a nightly basis, or be it an e-cook stove that has a SIM card connection to then generate uh, carbon credits directly off the stove in real time. So I think this bringing the the software and the data world fully into the real world rather than sitting in a computer or a, or a, a phone is is probably that next big revolution that's that's coming through for the for the world. And I think it's it's pretty exciting. You snap that one in quite quickly and quietly there, Ben. Carbon credits off the stove in real time. My next question was going to be what's next for you, but I feel like you need to talk to, talk a bit more about um, <laughs> what that means first, Ben. Yeah, so so carbon credits. Um, I mean, it's a complicated area, um, but basically, if you think of it like a a pair of scales, and you've got a company on one side, it could be an airline, an energy company, a software company doing servers, or or whatever the case, who wants to offset their emissions. Or it's uh, probably actually an even easier explanation is to say you want to take a flight and you want it want that flight to be carbon neutral. Well, most airlines now will give you that option to tick that box that you can purchase carbon credits. That basically means that while your flight might take, say, two tonnes of, of emissions for you to fly to somewhere in the world, the ideal solution in the long term, obviously, is that we're using a fuel or a, or a setup that doesn't do any emissions. But at least what we can do at the moment is make that flight carbon neutral by buying carbon credits, which means somewhere else in the world that, say, two tonnes on your flight is being offset by reducing two tonnes of emissions somewhere else in the world. And that's effectively what our stoves do as well. 
So basically what happens is normally people will cook with wood. That'll emit between two and four tonnes uh, per year of greenhouse gas emissions. And by switching them across to electric cooking, we're able to reduce that significantly anywhere in that range of, of two to four tonnes. And then companies or, I mean, individuals can as well, can then buy those credits to offset and achieve their, their net zero goals. That's great for, for them for achieving their net zero goals. That's great for us because we get this additional revenue stream that we can then pass that through to the user and reducing the cost of the technology for them to access. And that's really the, we talk about the flywheel effect or, or the turb, it's like turbocharging this whole situation is that by pulling in these carbon credit opportunities, we can offer like high quality solutions out to these households at very, very low prices because we're not just looking for people to pay for the product themselves, but then use the product over time that then generates this revenue that really helps them and helps us to solve that problem. Oh, you guys are really, really pushing the envelope in terms of bringing together different models that can just work for different, different people and get, and get the impact there. And I just want to close our conversation today. What is next for you, Ben? Where, where's next for you? Yeah, so for us, I mean, we, we've got these fantastic technologies. We've very much proven and validated both the biodigesters and the electric cook stoves in um, Cambodia and Bangladesh. As we mentioned, this is, this is a global problem. And ATEC, we really want to be at the forefront of that from a technology and then this embedded finance, as they call it, this ability to do pay-go, carbon credits, et cetera, and work with distributors across Asia and Africa to bring this product into pretty much every emerging market that we can over the next few years. So, yeah, so I was just in Rwanda, for example, and Nepal, talking to distributors there. So starting to work with these guys to bring these products into market. And then at the same time, talking with major companies around the world who have their net zero commitments about, okay, well, we can help you not just achieve your net zero goals, but at the same time, you are achieving this amazing social impact of solving cooking within these countries while achieving your, your net zero goals at the same time. So it's about bringing that t- together. We are doing a Series A uh, equity round raise at this stage to help us uh, go out and be able to achieve that across those countries. And yeah, we're pretty excited about where things can go. And yeah, uh, keeping going from there. Oh, well, massive, very best of luck there, Ben. And um, for anybody who wants to get in touch with Ben, I'll make sure I put some contact details and more about the organisation into the words that sit alongside. But I want to close our conversation today by saying a massive thank you for joining us and sharing your, I guess, the, the inspiration, but also those different models of which you're using to make this really work. Yeah, thanks, Katie. Really, really a pleasure to come on and have a, a chat about this problem, get the word out about how important and, and uh, optimistic it is around solving this cooking problem. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 